0: Oh, won't it be a time when God's own Son, Amen, not just God in human vessels, He will be present as we are. He'll be known. We'll know Him as we are known. He'll be the leading one at that meeting. Oh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together, if you would, with me. We've got to start a little late, and I think that's my fault. I apologize. Ephesians chapter 4, I've been there the last few services and can't seem to get away from it no matter how hard I try. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just read one verse here. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again this evening, certainly enjoyed the service this morning. Amen, I enjoy it when our pastor comes and ministers the word and just preaches and we get fed. Sheep like to eat. If you lead a sheep to a pasture, they will eat. Unless they're sick. Then they need medicine. And they get it at the same place, the shepherd's hand. Amen. That was for free. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called amen let's just bow our heads together Heavenly Father Lord Jesus we're just gathered together Lord in your presence tonight so thankful Lord to be able to call ourselves Christians Lord father not by some sect or denomination Lord or by some other name but Lord the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Father, that we haven't received a man, but we've received you, Lord Jesus. Father, that it wasn't the words of a man that came to us in this day. It was the voice behind the voice. Lord, that brought revelation into our hearts, Lord. That Father, enlightened us to these wonderful, glorious truths that are in the word of God. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time together. Pray you bless us now as we look into your word, Lord, and as we try not to be lengthy. But Lord, we want to hand it over to your hands. That Lord, whatever you would have for us tonight, we ask, Father, that you would bless us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord as a blessing to the word you may have the comfort of your seats. Amen. I just was pondering on and, and watching some of the, the coronation that went on there the other day, and some of what had happened, and I'm sure many of you seeing what had happened, as we would say in Canada, we have a, a new king that has now been crowned king, though I'm not sure how much Canada recognizes a king or is a subject to an authority. I didn't look into that much that far. Some of you would know that better than me. But I found it amazing to be able to watch it and to see how they would um, go about the ceremony, how they would give him the scepter and how they would give him the crown and all of the different symbols of authority and all the different symbols of things. And I sure as any Christian would watch that, they've got something else on their heart something else that they're pondering on of a different king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. That was their coronation day, and I found it quite interesting as they made this great coronation, and they had to read it all off of cue cards. And if you're watching that, on that day, we won't have to read no cue cards. We won't have to wonder what we're going to say, but rather there'll be something within us that will bring us to a place of praise and worship, dancing, shouting, joy, whatever it may be that comes from the inside. We won't have to look at a cue card to wonder if we're saying the right thing or not, but rather we will be like him, we'll know him as he is, amen. And as I begin to ponder on this scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, to walk worthy of the vocation we with you are called. In other words, that word vocation can be translated as walk worthy of the invitation, that you were called by. There's a calling. There's an invitation. Is a calling. When you're beckoned to a wedding, it's an invitation that goes out. That calls you to say, come and be a witness to this wedding, to this ceremony. Whether you're invited to the ceremony, the reception, whatever it may be. I thank the Lord that in this wedding, in the wedding of the, uh, the, the, the lamb and, her, and his bridegroom, it's not just an invitation to a wedding. You're invited to the reception. You're invited to the wedding supper. You're invited to come and to feast and to dine with him. It's not just a time to come and say, well, come and enjoy this as a spectator. There will be spectators. It's interesting at the coronation of, of King Charles III, I believe he is, that as he came and as he was there, he had one son that was dressed in royal clothes. He'd stuck close. He'd been, he'd lived a life that he was there with the royal family. He'd been with them. He's been under scrutiny. Prince William uh, of royal um, um, attire and as, of royal livelihood as he was there and he was a part of the ceremony. He was a part of what was going on. He had his opportunity to come before the king. He had his opportunity to swear his allegiance. He had his opportunity to do all these things and to dress in a certain way. There was another son that was there present that wasn't dressed the same way. It's Prince Harry who's decided to reject that way of life, who's decided to that he doesn't want to walk that way and decided that he wants his own choosing, his own the way of his own wife and doesn't want to be called and live in the public eye and whatever troubles he may decide he has is fine. That's not my point tonight, but as he chose that way, he wasn't a part of the ceremony the way the other son was a part of the ceremony. Amen. We know on that great coronation day, there will be some who are a part of the ceremony. Those who have chosen to walk worthy of the vocation with they were called, they will be part of something greater than themselves. They'll be, part of, they'll be sitting there as bride to the bridegroom, as the queen of heaven, as he is coronated the king of heaven. We'll be a part of it, but there will be those on the outside that aren't dressed the same. They forgot to put on the wedding garments. They forgot to clothe themselves with the clothes that were provided, which we know the clothes that are provided are the message of the hour. It's the Word of God that clothes the bride. Amen. This is nothing new to any of us, but it's just something maybe I was excited about. It's a little bit for free. But as we look at it, and I was pondering on the Scripture then in Luke, where it says, when a man made a great feast, he sent out what? Invitations to come to the feast. And as he sent out invitations, many received the invitation. Many received the vocation. Many received it and said, yeah, that's very nice. Thank you so much. But when it came time for the feast, we know that there was those who decided they were not interested anymore because something more important in their mind had come to light. Something more important to them had made use of their time where now as we know the scripture one said I bought me a team of oxen I need to go try them one said I bought a piece of land one said I married me a wife one said all these different things that they thought were more important than the feast of the master but he said, don't, I won't have my feast just empty. Go to the highways. Go to the byways. Go to the hedges. Go to the ditches. Go to the less fortunate. Go to those who aren't educated. Go to those who don't have much in their lives. Go and preach the gospel to all the world and call it to anyone that would come. I'm opening up my wedding feast to anyone that is willing to receive the invitation and walk worthy of it. Because let me ask you, if you've received an invitation, how ought you to walk if you're excited to be there how are you to live what are your attitude to be if you're walking worthy of an invitation you've been invited to be the queen of heaven you've been invited to be to be to to sit next to the very king you've been invited to sit with him in his throne but how are we to act How ought our attitude to be towards the things of God? It ought not to be one of, well, it's secondary. I've got things of more importance. I need to go make some extra money. I need to go do this over here. I need to go, I'm more concerned with getting married. I'm more concerned with my material things. I'm more concerned with other things. No, what ought to be our number one concern? It ought to be the invitation. I wouldn't want to wake up one morning and then just go, oh, today's the day of that wedding. I totally forgot about it. Made other plans. Can you imagine the way the bride and groom would feel that set up here and stand up here and the audience is empty? Because everyone forgot. But it ought to be on your minds. If you're interested in being there, if they really mean something to you. If the bride and groom, that meant enough for them to invite you. Clearly you're close enough to them that you ought to be thinking of them to say, yes, I'd like to be there. I'd like to make myself available so that way I could be at that, so I could celebrate with them. That's just a natural thing. But what about in the spiritual where he says, I'm inviting you to, to eternal life. But what ought our attitude to be just to push it off to another time to say, well, listen, when I have more time, oh, I forgot about that we're living in the end time. I forgot how close we really are. I forgot, and I didn't think ignorance is not an option because he sent his word. He knows exactly what he's doing. And my, my title tonight really is being worthy, worthy of being used of God, worthy of being used of God. Because if, if, if we're interested in being there, then we want not only just to be there, but rather we desire to be used of God. We desire to be a part of it. We don't want to just show up. Maybe that's what you want to do. I don't. I don't want to just scrape in by the edge of my teeth and say, well, I just made it, praise God. I forgot about it till the last minute. There will be those who just in the last minute just happen to maybe make a deathbed confession or something like that, and that's fine. But there's not much reward, if any reward in that, other than eternal life itself, which is is good enough itself. But there's not much reward in that. But rather, I'd rather be in service to the master. I'd rather be one that he says, "Uh, you go. You take the message, you go to the highways, you go to the byways, you go to the hedges, you go to the ditches, you go preach the gospel to all the corners of the earth. And I'm not preaching this because I happen to be leaving on Wednesday, but rather I'm a ministry because this is what God laid on my heart for, for tonight and I, it wasn't really what I had expected to come out tonight, but, but really we ought to live in such a way that God is able to use us. That God is desiring to use us so that we are not a hindrance to the moving of the Holy Spirit. If we go to 2 Peter chapter 1 with me in verse 3, I've seen the head on the screen briefly already. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Amen. Walk worthy of that. He's called you to glory. He's called you to virtue. The Bible says that the the trials of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I've said it before and I'll say it again. That doesn't make our trials meaningless. It It doesn't appreciate the value of our trials. It doesn't appreciate the hardship of our trials. But rather it means no matter how hard that gets. This glory is so much greater that he's called you to that no matter how difficult it gets down here to walk, no matter how difficult it gets to be a parent, no matter how difficult it gets to be a teenager, no matter how difficult it gets to be a father or to be be a co-worker or how hard it is to live peaceable with all men, that's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in you. Because there's a great calling that he says, I want you to be the best. Hallelujah. He didn't call you at your best, but he wants you to be the best. He didn't call you when you were doing the greatest, but he is the greater than anything else. If you're willing to surrender yourself, and and Brother Brown would say, what is a gift? A gift, and we're going to get into it, a gift is being able to get yourself out of the way. Being able to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do in your life. To enable Him to use you for His purpose. He's called just as whereby, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. These words are not chosen to... um (laughs) The word just slipped me. Fish story. Exaggerate. There it is. It came back to me that way. These words are not made to exaggerate the usefulness or to exaggerate how great God is. He's not saying the exceeding because he needs to embellish. He's saying it because Peter knows it's true. This is the man who stood there and went through great ups and great lows when he was walking with the Lord, who stood there and said, I'll never forsake you. And Jesus said, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. And he denied him three times before the cock crows. And for him to get on his face and repent, and still the Lord Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection. He's saying, I'm not worthy of this. But God, his promises are exceedingly great and exceedingly precious. There is nothing more valuable to me than to cling to the promises of God. As Paul admonished us in Ephesians, he says, I, as a prisoner, I beseech you that you walk worthy. And not just I hope you do. No, but I beseech you. I implore you. I beg you. I do everything I can within my power. Please walk worthy. He says, exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Not by us being called at our best, but because of the promises. We could be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through the lust. says, and besides this giving all diligence... Once again, he's not embellishing. Don't just, well, I was diligent yesterday, so I'm taking today off. Giving all diligence. Satan doesn't take a day off. In case you haven't noticed, which I'm sure every one of you here has noticed, Satan doesn't take any days off. He doesn't go on vacation. Now, we as humans, we need vacations, we need time away, we need to recharge and request, but that's for our flesh. We're a vacation wherever you are. You're a Christian in Edmonton. You're a Christian in Vancouver. If you like Mexico, you're a Christian in Mexico. If you're like me and you like Hawaii, you're a Christian in Hawaii. Wherever you are, you don't take a day off of being a Christian. Because Satan doesn't have borders either. He's not looking around Edmonton going, where did Andrew go? No, he knows I'm heading to Ethiopia. He knows where I'm going to be there. He's sure to meet me there. And I'm looking forward to seeing him there. Because the same way I stomp him down here, I'm going to stomp him down there. And that's okay if he wants to get any beating there, we'll beat him over there. That's fine. But he doesn't take a day off, so why do we? We ought to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. Because the Lord comes in an hour that you think not. He comes as a thief in the night. A time when you're not thinking, oh, I've got to get ready tomorrow. He's going to come. Guarantee he won't. But when you're just going to sleep at night and think, well, praise the Lord. i got all these things to do tomorrow, but I better pray and just wait on the Lord. All of a sudden, he's there. Because he comes as a thief in the night. Be ready every day. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. To your virtue, knowledge. To your knowledge, temperance. To your temperance, patience. To your patience, godliness. To your godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Now, all of these attributes, which are, as we heard this morning, characteristics of the stature of a perfect man. If these things be in you and abound, as the scripture says in the next verse. But all of these characteristics, they're very personal. They start in you. But if they're in you, they emit out to others. Amen. Brotherly kindness is, is not something you can keep within yourself. Yeah. Oh, right. right. You cannot show me brotherly kindness without being kind to your brother. See, right. you say, well, it's just me, myself, and I. You got a wrong revelation there. Right. <laughs> you can't just be kind to yourself. I'm just kind to myself. I'm my own brother. No, no. It has to work outward. These things are inward characteristics that manifest themselves on the outside. If these things, it says, be in you and abound, they shall make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a tree. You look at a tree and you can see that it's alive. Right now, we're starting to see which trees are alive and which trees are dead. All winter long, they all look the same. But now, because there's an outward manifestation, you begin to see oh, that one's got buds. I gotta cut that one down because it's dead. And that one over there is doing good. Why? Because it brings forth fruit. There has to come something on the outside that begins to change as we were preaching last week. And I say, You can be this person over here that has the Holy Ghost on the outward man, on the flesh, but never gets it on the inside, never gets it in the soul, never gets a nature change, but maybe looks the part of a Christian, acts the part of a Christian, but never gets there. Or you could be this person on the other side that they've been baptized with the Holy Ghost in their soul, but they've got struggle after struggle after struggle, and maybe they're going insane in their own mind, but they're sealed. the day of their redemption, and praise God for that. But tonight, what I want to try and preach to you is what about the middle of the road? That's where you're going to find Christ desires you to walk. That's where you're going to find the overcomer, one that's sealed to the day of their redemption. And they do look the part because there's an outward manifestation of the Holy Ghost that's in them that begins to manifest itself and begins to work in such a way that you can see not just that that's a real Christian, but I don't understand how that person is bearing fruit in the midst of their trial. Because it's a trial to a tree when the husbandman prunes it. But it brings forth more fruit. It needs that to direct the life in the right direction. The same way the father, he needs to prune the the, the branches in order to bring forth more fruit. The life is in the vine, but the branches are what bears the fruit. Praise be to God. It says, and he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Oh my, that's not, a, that's not anything we all, any of us want. It says, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old th- sins. So this is somebody that had, had some sort of an experience. They got the invitation, they got the calling. But they didn't see afar off. They didn't press in. They didn't give all diligence. They didn't walk worthy. This guy said, "Well, it'll just be what it is." He said, "And they're blind." That sounds a little bit like Leo to see it, doesn't it? Poor, wretched, blind, miserable, naked. Don't even know it. But it says, "Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall." For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to say it again because it's just so amazing to me the way Peter writes. Peter's just throwing as many adjectives in there as he can. He's just really good at writing with adjectives. He kind of writes like I do. I like to throw as many as I can until my teachers in school would tell me you don't need two adjectives for every noun. Just one is enough. But I, maybe I learned, this is where I learned to write from Peter, where he just abundantly and exceedingly and, oh, it's all diligence. And he just put it all in there. Why? Because to him, he's looking at saying, this is what produces a Christian life. This is how you walk worthy of the vocation with your call when you're giving diligence to say, Lord, what can I do to be pleasing to you? He says, and just once more, Brother Brown says, the only thing that you have to do to know he is here is to get yourself out of the way. As long as you're in the way, God cannot do nothing for you. When you think your thoughts, then God's thoughts don't have a chance. But if you'll quit thinking your thoughts and think his thoughts, my thoughts is not your thoughts, he says. If there'd be any praise, if there'd be any virtue, think on these things. Not what some church is going to say about it, but what God said about it. Think these kinds of thoughts. Because when our thoughts get in the way, when we're going through a trial, and we got all our thoughts, well, this is what's happening, this is what's going on, this is the problem, I got to think of a solution. Instead of putting it in God's hands. I said to the young people on on Friday, sight, when we, we want to walk by sight, sometimes, quite often in our flesh, we want to walk by sight. And if we're walking by sight, sight says, when I see it do good, I'll believe it. But faith says, God said it's good for me, therefore it's good. We say, but I don't see any results. But faith says, I'm not looking for results. I'm looking at the word of God. And I'm going to take his word for it, no matter what. If he says that he's able to keep me, if he says he's watching over me, the rest is finished. Let me just jump ahead here. There was a young man one time that that wrote to an aged mother. And he wrote this mother and he wrote it this way and said this mother was burdened and intensely anxious on, on, on account and condition of her son. And this young man wrote her and said, You're, you give yourself too much trouble about your son. After you have prayed for him as you have done and committed him to God, should not you cease to feel anxious respecting him? The command says, be careful for nothing. It is unlimited. And so is the expression in the Bible, casting all your cares upon him. If we cast our burdens upon another, can they continue to press upon us? Let me just say it this way. If I take this phone and I give it to Brother Brandon... It's his problem now. Good luck, buddy. Any phone call, someone trying to get a hold of me, who's going to answer it? Him. I don't have it anymore. He's got the phone. If somebody texts me, he's got the phone. I'm not getting the text message anymore. It's up to him to answer it. But if every time there's a phone call, I go, that's my phone. Give that back to me. i got to answer it. Sometimes that's what we do to God. Yeah. All right. Lord, I'm casting all my cares on you. And then a the situation changes a little bit. We go, oh, hold on a second, God. I didn't see this one coming. Yeah. Yeah. This changed on me, Lord. Now I'm not so sure. I need to, I need to reconsider this. No, if you're going to give it to God, then give it to God. Yeah. You're anxious, your anxiety concerning the issue ought to cease at that point. Because it's over. You've given it. You've casted your cares upon the Lord. Amen. Amen. I can say it to you this way. If once you've prayed, if after committing anything to God, you can feel, I'll say, like Hannah in the Bible. After she prayed and really committed it to God, and she really got it a peace in her heart. If you can pray that way where now in your mind you're no more sad about it, your heart is no more pained or anxious about it, then you could look upon it as proof that you prayed in faith. But if I take my burden to God and I come back with my burden, faith was not in action. It was just words. True faith drops a letter in the post office box and lets it go. Distrust holds on to the corner of it and wonders why the answer never came. You ever try that? Just go ahead and put the mail in the mailbox, but hold on to it and wait for someone to get back to you. Let me update that. You just write out an email, save it in drafts, and wonder why they never got back to you. Why didn't you email me back? I wrote out a big email for you. You never got back to me. You forgot to press send. You just kept holding on to it. But real faith puts it in there and lets it go. This is the way true faith, it hands the case over to God and then he works. It's a fine verse in the 37th book of Psalms, chapter of Psalms. It says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he worketh. But he never worketh till we commit. You can't do work until you commit it to God. Let me say it this way. Let me just, I'm just trying to just preach it down home tonight. I hope it's all right. Good. Good. If you get a quote from a contractor to come and do work in your home. He's given you a quotation. This is how much it will cost. You phone him up 3 weeks later and say, "Why aren't you on the job?" You Say, "You never accepted the quote." I gave you the quote. I gave you the estimate. I told you this is how much it would cost, but you never phoned me back and said, let's do the work. You never committed it to me. You just held on to it and said, okay, great. And now you're wondering why I'm not done because I couldn't even start. Sometimes we're wondering why, God, why aren't you saving my children? Why aren't you getting after my children? But we're so busy holding on to them trying to pull them in, trying to guide their lives, trying to get them in such a way and holding on to them in such a way till God can't even work in them because we're doing all the work. Why don't we give it over to God and say, Lord, you do the work. You do the labor. I need to give it over to you. I need to do more than anything. I need to pray. Let me read to you from the church age book. I'm all over the place in my notes. Martin Luther was, the man, was a man given to much prayer and had learned that the more work he had to do, the more sorely he was pressed for time, the more of his time he gave to God in prayer in order to ensure satisfactory results. Well, that isn't reverse psychology. The more he was pressed for time, the more he had to do in a day, the more works he had to do. He said, you know what I really need to do? I need to spend more time in prayer. So that no matter, because if I go do it myself, it's going to come out unsatisfactorily. It's going to come out in the wrong way. I'm going to mess it all up. I'm going to go about it the wrong direction. But if I stop and give it to God, he'll work it out in such a way that I can't even explain. He'll make sure things work out. How could a man protest the Catholic Church and get by with it, number one? Number two, how could a man live in a day like that and hold his head above all the fanaticism that followed his work and stay true? on the word of God that God had sent him. Why? Because he knew what it was to pray. He knew that no matter how much I have to do, I need to spend more time with the Lord. What's that doing for me? It's getting me out of the way. It's getting me aside so that the Holy Spirit can use the vessel to do the work that he wants to do. Praise be to God. Whenever you get licked and realize you're licked in perfect strength by perfect weakness, Brother Benham says, whenever you get licked and realize you're licked, and you, you, then you come back humble and humble yourself. Get weak. He says, find out you're human. Listen, we all do that sometimes. We all get on a spiritual high and feel like i'm superhuman i'm gonna fix this i got this i don't know maybe you never got that way i've gotten that way you come back from a church service you're like oh ho, ho, devil Woo. honey this think there's going to be some changes around home watch i'll be the first one to fall flat on my face every time i say that because i can't do it i got to realize i'm human i'm as human as the next person when I'm busy pointing fingers at them, there's three of them pointing back at me. Saying, but, but, but you. When you realize that you're human, there's none of your intellectuals that can do it. And then he changes it says, human weakness will never be used by God. But God, by human weakness, pours himself into it. Then he uses himself. Oh, let me just say it this way. Sometimes we mistake human weakness for humility. We see someone walking around. Oh, man, I'm a nobody. Woe is me. I'm just the weakest of Christians. Oh, man, I'm terrible. And we go, that person is so humble. No, God can't use human weakness. But he needs to pour himself into that human weakness. He needs that person to recognize they're human so that, because if they're thinking they're superhuman, he can't use that because he can't fill it. Because what are you saying? He's saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. You ever want to get something done for God? It ain't going to be you. But it will be you. In other words, it won't be you doing it, but it'll be by you. It'll be the Holy Spirit in you, using you to accomplish the work of God. He's a jealous God. He will not share his glory with another. He will not look at someone and say, oh, but so and so, they did me so much good. No, they did me good because they surrendered to me. God, by human weakness, can pour himself into it. Then he uses it. You just become an instrument. Certainly, you've got to get yourself out of the way. hallelujah. Proverbs 18 verse 16, if you put that up there. This is a man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great man. There's nothing in that scripture that says the man raised himself up to be amongst great men. It says the gift made room for him, and the gift brought him before great men. Let me just throw this in there at a case, Barnia. Bible says, "You've got to make your decision. You've got to make a decision. You've maybe been a good, good church member. Maybe you've always longed and you've wanted more of God. You might want it to do something for God, but remember, you're only mortal once. The only time is the only time you're going to be mortal. That one time, this one time is the only time you're ever going to be mortal. And this may be the time that you've got to make your decision. You're either going to move up with God or stay where you're at. You've got to make a decision in this. Am I willing to get myself out of the way? You're only mortal once. You'll only have this choice to make once. Let me tell you something about gifts. How are we doing for time? We good? We good? Amen. Gifts bring trials. Why is no one shouting amen on that one? Come on. Gifts bring trials. Because to use a gift properly takes training. Surprise, right? I didn't start plumbing day one and immediately was a good plumber. no. My first day plumbing, I was insulating pipes. And I had a journeyman walk in on me as I was up there working in the ceiling. I thought I was doing a great job. And he just walked in, he just put his hands up, looked up, and went, terrible. And I turned around and walked out. You can imagine that's the first day on the job, and I'm just sweating bullets. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's putting insulation on a pipe. How hard is it? Like, <laughs> come on. What am I doing wrong? Turns out that's just the kind of guy he was. He just liked to tease. Maybe I got some of my sense of humor from him. But in the end, we ended up being good friends. He was a good guy. But I, that wasn't, I wasn't the greatest at it. And I could look at my job, and I looked over the other guy, and I could see my tape's half falling off, and his is staying on and looking great. And I'm like, man, I've got to figure this out. It took experience. It took training. It took someone to show me. If you just do it like this, it'll look nicer. If you just do it this way, it'll happen nicer. If you just show somebody rather than trying to just tell them, you're wrong. That only goes so far. But God's not that kind of a God. God's not a God. How many of you ever had the Holy Ghost come down and tell you you need to get the Holy Ghost? Nobody. But rather, He leads and guides you into all truth. He shows you how to live pleasing to Him. He shows you how to do that. It's us that bring it in a condemnation form because we're human. And we like to preach it that way. And you do need the Holy Ghost. And we need the Holy Ghost. And we need more of God. But that's not the point. The point is you need to learn how to get yourself aside so he can fill you. All right. I need to stay back on my notes so I don't get, otherwise I'm going to use all my time. But it's not, we need to be trained to use our gifts, but it's not man training. It's God training. It's like the gift, we could say, a, a gift of a musician. We can appreciate our musicians. I'm going to use my mother-in-law for a minute, is that okay? I appreciate her gift. I appreciate, and I love to sit back and enjoy her piano playing. She's amazing at it. Amen? All right, thank you. Somebody's with me. But I, I really enjoy it. But I wasn't there, and you weren't there. But Sister Mary was there, and Brother Jake was there, to hear the ears of twinkle, twinkle, little stars... How I wonder, Mary had a hot cross buns, hot cross buns. And years of that gone, oh man. And the crying, and the tears, and the I don't want to do this. We weren't there for that. But we can sit back and enjoy and go, man, she's so talented. She's so good. God just poured out upon her a gift to play. And we can look at a minister that way. we say, man, that brother, he's so talented, he's so gifted, he can just teach it in such a way it comes out with such perfect clarity, it's beautiful, and I love it when he teaches in that way, and another brother who preaches in such an anointing, man, the way he can just bring the gift and the anointing, the presence of God just comes, but you weren't there for all the hours in tears. The, the sleepless nights spent on their knees. The times of, of, of agony before God and soul searching and wondering, Lord, well, what could you use me for? And continually pouring yourself out before the people and before God in private. You weren't there for all those times. But yeah, you can sit there and enjoy the after effect. Why? Because that was training for a gift. A brother asked Brother Menno, uh, freezing one time. He preached a really good service, and he said, wow, how long did it take to study for that service? The Menno said, a lifetime. Years upon years. But we could look back at a brother like Brother Menno, a brother like Brother Harold when he'd come to the latter years of his ministry and go, it's just beautiful the way he just puts it out there, the way he ministers. And those of you that were there for the early years went, yeah, but I was there for... Some of the hard times. Come on, let's be human now. I was there for some of the difficult services that he preached that fell flat on the, flat on the floor. I was there for some of those times. Yeah, you might have been there for some of those times, but you, in the end, you got to see the result. But what you, you weren't there for is after he preached that service that fell flat on the ground, he went home and he cried on his knees. For what I tried, what did I do wrong? So you sure Brother Harold did that? I know that because I've done that. I've preached services that go flat over the pulpit, and I'm going, Lord, what did I do? I'm sorry, I got in the way. But it's training of a gift. I'm just giving you a couple examples. It's like a musician. A musician doesn't stand up there the first day of ever playing the piano and get up there and say, I'm going to sing a special now. We all go, please don't. But we appreciate the ones that can play, what they've been through, what they've gone through, because a gift takes that kind of training a man's gift maketh room for himself. It makes room for the man. If there's, God's given you a gift in your life, you need to walk worthy of that calling. Yep. And that will make room for you. Now watch this. As you could, you could look at Jacob. I won't turn to the scripture for the sake of time. But we know the story of Jacob very well. Jacob sent gifts before him. This is Old Testament shadows and types. What did he do when Jacob was coming back and he was sent to meet Esau? Esau comes with 400 trained men. What did he do? He sent out gifts before him. Send this one, send that one, and then we'll organize it in such a way. What was he doing? He was sending out and saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm made of. This is what God has called me to be. I've got all of these riches and it's for your good. He's sending out a gift before him, but what happened? When he sent out the gift before him, then God met him. The angel came and wrestled with him and changed him to match the gift. The angel trained him so he walked in a different way the rest of his life so that the gift that he sent out was the gift that God matched his life up to to say, you want to send that out? I'm not going to let a shyster follow that up. I'm not going to let a deceiver come up behind a gift like that and just go around and and try and deceive Esau. No, I'm going to change you and you're going to be a different kind of a man so that when you come back into the promised land, you are who you were really meant to be. Then you can really operate according to the gift that I've given you. Favor according to the measure of the gift as we preached last Sunday morning. But, but but in this he sent out that gift before you so it says as the gift maketh room for the men, the gift goes before the men. As Abigail, even when she went to meet David, Abigail sent gifts first. She didn't come relying on herself and saying, Well, I'm a beautiful woman, I'm young, I'm everything. He'll just accept me. No, he sent gifts before him to say, Accept the gift. And then I'll come in behind it with the message. That's what Esau, or Jacob did, sent the gift, and God gave him a message to come in behind and say, don't worry about Esau, I've already taken care of it. Same way, Jesus is God's own gift to us. Amen. Jesus is God's own gift to us. But he didn't just come and say, well, here's the gift of salvation. There was a life that came behind it. There was a message that came behind that gift. It didn't just come with saying salvation and God so loved the world. He sent his only begotten son and I shed my blood for you that whosoever believe on me shall be saved. And I've done all these things for you. That was the gift of God to mankind. But rather there was also a message that went out behind it. That he said, oh my, there was a message that 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 was greater than just the gift. Where he says, if you will receive me, the Father will make his abode with you. The gifts has to make room for the reception of the person. I want you to catch that. The gifts are to make room to receive the person, the giver. Hallelujah. The gifts in the body are not for the glorification of the gift. The fivefold ministry, the nine spiritual gifts, the, the gifts of mu- music and all these they're not to glorify the gift. It's not to raise up a man and say, "Wow, look at how amazing his gift is, or look how amazing her gift is, or look how amazing that." That's not the point. The point was to make way so the giver could be received. And the giver, we know, is the Lord Jesus Christ. It was made in such a way so that way he you could receive. The gifts were made to make straight the pathway so that you can receive the person of Jesus Christ into you. Hallelujah. Furthermore, it had to be the gift, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice to go before God before we came. It's two ways. He sent gifts so we could receive Him to open up our hearts. Like Nathan who went into David and began to talk to him in such a way that it would open his heart so he could insert the word. That's what the gifts of the body are for. They're to open the hearts of the people. (laughs) Let me ask you a question, a very honest question. If your hearts are open to God to receive what he's preaching in the word for the day, why do you need tongues Why do you need prophecy? It's part of the nine spiritual gifts. But why do you need those things if you're already open to God? Those things were sent for a purpose so you could receive Christ in behind them. Why was there so many tongues? If you go and listen, listen closely to the when when there's tongues and interpretation in Brother Brown's ministry. What are they saying? They get up and prophesy, speak in tongues and prophesy afterwards. Then what is it saying? Here... What I'm speaking to you. I'm the one that sang these things to you. This is me coming down. Receive the word. And they're backing up the message that Brother Branham preached. But if you've received the message of the hour, what need do you have to say, Lord? I need tongues, I need prophecy, I need, I need great manifestations. I've already received it. My heart's already open to say, Lord, whatever you want to do. If you want to do more tongues, I'm open. If you want to do more prophecy, I'm open. If we need a greater gift of wisdom, I'm open. Because I've been open to the message of the hour. I've received the truth. So therefore, I don't need God to try and pull apart the stony heart to insert the truth. I've already received it. It's not saying we don't need the gifts anymore because we have the giver. It's saying that God gave the gifts so you could receive him. I can bring out a lot of quotes on that, actually, about how, how tongues are, are a sign of a dying, of death. We'll leave that for another time, perhaps. A gift in secret, Proverbs 21, 14, pacifieth anger. A gift in secret pacifieth anger. Gifts that you don't see. So, this is just talking about. No, the scripture is multifaceted. Gifts that you don't see, gifts in the body of prayer, gifts of helps, ones that you don't see, that don't stand behind a pulpit, they don't play an instrument, they don't speak a lot, they're not always boisterous, but rather they're in the secret and the private of a prayer closet. Pacifieth the anger of God. How did Moses pray as we read chapter, Numbers chapter 11 last Sunday morning? How did Moses pray when there was the anger of God was poured out? How did Moses pray? He got alone with God and cried out to God, Lord, I'm in a time of need. It wasn't a public prayer. Let me just go one more place and then we'll close. We'll go to a, a quotation from Charles Spurgeon if that's all right. Charles Spurgeon would speak about uh, uh, the scripture in Exodus chapter fourteen, verse thirteen. Says, "Stand still," as paraphrasing it, "and see the salvation of the Lord." Stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. These words, Charles Spurgeon would say, contain God's command to the believer when he is reduced to great straits and brought into extraordinary difficulties. A place where you cannot retreat, you cannot go forward, but you're shut down on the right hand and on the left. What are you to do now? The master's words to him is, stand still. That's when this word came, when they were shut up in front of the Red Sea, Egyptians behind. It's almost a redundant saying. Where can I go? can't go left, I can't go right. Mountains, mountains. Red sea's in front, Egyptian's behind. There's nowhere I can go. And what does God say? Stand still. Thank you. But sometimes thats exactly what we need to hear in those moments, Because those are the times as sisters and some brothers get anxious, and brothers and some sisters, we buckle down, and we're ready to fight. Aren't we that way? And when we get a place where there's nowhere else to go, instead of getting on our knees and standing still, we go, all right, I'm fighting my way out of this one. God says, no, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Let me fight for you. The battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. But you got to give it to him. you got to commit it to him. you got to give him the phone and say, you answer the phone call. I don't want to answer it anymore. I keep getting myself in trouble. He says this, says, stand still. It is well for him if at such times he listens only to the master's words. For other and evil advisors come with their suggestions. Despair whispers, lie down and die. Spiritually. Just give up. I've got you now. You can't go anywhere. You're not a real Christian anyways. But God would have us to put on a cheerful courage and even in our worst times, rejoice in his love and faithfulness. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for the song, Sister Catherine, this morning. Cowardice would even say, retreat. Go back to the worldling's way of action. You can't play the Christian's part. It's too difficult. Relinquish your principles. Oh, my. We get that way sometimes. I thank you, Brother John, for that testimony. When you sat there as, a, in the, as the president of the student council, they wanted you to get the gay pride and you got it and you just said, Lord, I where do I go? But God came on the scene yeah. and made it such a way you didn't have to be a part of those things. Why? Because you stood still and said, Lord, you do the work. Yeah. Cowardice would say, Well, maybe you don't need to stand so strong on that. However much Satan may urge this course upon you, you cannot follow it. If you're a child of God, Hallelujah! His design will has bid you from strength to strength. And so thou shalt go. And neither death nor hell shall turn you from your course. What if for a while you're just called to stand still? Yet this is but to renew your strength for some greater advance in due time. Because what did we read in, in 2 Peter chapter 1? Read it this way: If he lacketh these things, he's blind, and what cannot see afar off. In other words, because he doesn't understand, there's a greater advance coming. There's something else coming in the future. He's trying to do everything now, but because he's given diligence to add to his faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Because you've been diligent in the things of the Lord, you come to such a place where saying, "Lord." If you want me to stand still right now, I'm willing. Because that's the gift to get yourself aside, your own tendencies, your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own idiosyncrasies of things that you think this is what I need to do. God says, put it down. Precipitancy would cry, do something. Stir yourself. Oh, the devil loves to throw this one at you. He says, don't stand still and wait. That's idleness. We must be doing something at once. We must do it. So we think, instead of looking to the Lord, who will not only do something, but will do everything. Presumption presumption boasts... If the sea be before you, just march into it. Expect a miracle. That's called presuming. Just, just march into the sea. Wait for the God of the sea. Moses had to wait until God said, why do you cry? Speak. But faith does not listen to presumption, it does not listen to despair, it doesn't listen to cowardice, nor precipitancy, but it hears God say, stand still. Stand still, keep the posture of an upright man. I'll say it this way, stand still, keep the stature of a perfect man. Be ready for action, expect further orders cheerfully and patiently awaiting the directing voice. And it will not be long ere God shall say to you, as distinctly as Moses said it to the people of Israel, go forward. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord. Teach me to do what? Wait. Let's stand to our feet. I know that's a perfect song to sing as musicians come. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Oh, praise be to God. Abraham says in the message, Abraham, he says, if you'll just open up your heart, get yourself out of the way, he will come in and use you. That's as simple as what I've been preaching tonight. If we could just open our hearts and say, Lord, get my way out of the way. Put my thinking aside. All my own ideas, Lord, I'm sorry. I've tried to push it this way and that way, but Lord, let you speak to me. Let me wait upon the Lord. Let him come in and him use me. Amen.
1: Teach me, Lord, to To wait wait down.
0: sometimes we we mistake humility for human weakness, but real humility, humility within yourself is your attitude towards the Word of God in you. That's real humility. In other words, when you've waited upon the Lord and when He speaks, then go forward. There ought to be nothing that would stop you at that point. If God has spoken to you said, do such and such, There should be nothing to say, well, so-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so did. No, Lord, if you spoke, I waited on God, and God spoke, now it's time for action. Now it's time to go. There's a time for waiting, and there's a time for going. You need to be certain of the Lord, that when you're certain of Him, then you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Let's bow our heads together. No, am not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder if tonight maybe you just want a purpose in your heart. Say, Lord, I haven't been very good at waiting on you. I've jumped out ahead of you too many times. Tried to do things on my own strength, and my own way. I've been that man that's tried to gotten boxed in and thought I'm going to fight my way out. I've been that sister that got boxed in that I just got anxious and just said, I give up. I'm doing this anymore. Maybe you've been the brother that's done that. Maybe you're a fighter, sister, that decided I, I, I'm I'm ready to fight. But the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. The key is to wait on him when he's ready. Like David one day, he defeated the Philistines one time. And the, the battle came to the same place again. He said, Lord, should I go up again against them? And the Lord spoke to him and said, Go wait in the mulberry bushes when you hear the rushing in the mulberry trees then you can go fight David's job though he defeated them before in the same kind of battle he had to be patient and wait on the Lord and the Bible records that when he went and there was the rushing in the mulberry trees and he ran down and he defeated them he defeated them so much the Philistines never bothered them again in the time of David Because he knew how to wait on God. So Lord, help us to be able to wait on him to when he says go, when he says move. Heavenly Father, Lord, maybe not the fiery Sunday night service, Lord, that even I probably would have liked. But Lord, I believe you spoke tonight. Lord, that you've had your way tonight, Lord, and brought it out in a way that was even different than I had put together. But Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, you just help us to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Help us to really wait on you, not to be listening to the voices of presumption. Not to be listening, Lord, to the voices of despair and despondency. Not to be listening to the voices of anxiety and depression, Lord not to be listening to the voices that would cause us to think we can't sit idle any longer, but Lord, to wait on you until you call us, till you move us, Lord. Then we know and we can walk in full assurance that you're with us. Father, we pray, Lord, you just be with each one that's here. Lord, as we go our own way tonight, Lord, I pray you go with us, Lord. Bring us a peace, a great peace in our hearts, Lord, that we know that we're walking according to the will of the Father. Lord Jesus, help us to walk worthy. Lord, you've invited us, Lord. and We want to walk worthy to your invitation. We commit our ways now into your hands. We love you, Lord. Pray you'd give the increase tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. We just sing that one song in closing. Have the preeminence that you desire. Have the
1: preeminence that you desire in our lives.